Hi, everybody. Welcome to Strong Christian Female. And this week we talked to Scott LaPierre. Now, Scott is a pastor. He was a teacher, was in the military, and he and his wife homeschool their nine children. That alone should keep you mesmerized to the screen and listening to whatever advice this man has to give. But in addition to being an author and a speaker, one of the things he talks about Hi, everybody. Welcome to Strong Christian Female, and this week is Scott LaPierre. Now, Scott is a pastor in Washington. He's also a speaker and an author. He was in the military. He was a teacher, and wait for it, he and his wife homeschooled their nine children. Okay, so that alone should keep you glued to your seat. But one of the things I'm so excited that he shares with us this week is this balance, this understanding from a biblical perspective of work and rest. This is not a conversation you want to push aside. It's a very important conversation that I feel like is being lost in our culture. So in addition to all of his resources being listed below and his website, he is a speaker and his wife often travels with him. But listen to what the Bible says about what is work, what is rest, how does this help with our family life, and how can we recognize if we're actually doing what the Bible has called us to do. So without further ado, Scott LaPierre. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Strong Christian Female. Today, we have a pastor, a father of nine. Uh, I'm just going to let him give his story here in a second. Scott has so many things he's done and written about and experienced and is still learning and is still doing. And he has such a fantastic vantage point um, about life something that we all need. We need to shift our vantage point from time to time to see that God is good from every angle. And uh, Scott is one of those people that is really good at articulating that in book and um, sermon. So without further ado, Scott LaPierre, so, so grateful that you're here with us today. Um, When I was looking at your bio and we were talking back and forth, First of all, I know we just mentioned it too, but you have nine children. I'm going to just start with that. Uh, what is that like to be raising five girls and four boys? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty hectic, pretty wild. It's interesting. You chose to talk about uh, work and rest, the, the topic of that, um, one of my books. Uh, generally, people want to talk about marriage or finances, but you can see the application that having a lot of children has to being able to rest or to marriage too, you know, being able to prioritize my, my marriage, my relationship with my wife, with all of my kids pulling on me. And so you've got a congregation as a pastor, you're trying to care for a wife, you're trying to care for, and then nine kids Mm -hmm. that, that want time from you and even trying to distribute that evenly. So they don't ever feel like there's favorites or things like that. Um, Yeah. We got married and, we just had the conviction, you know, see, like you kind of say, you're surprised to have nine kids. I'm surprised to have nine kids, you know? Right. And so right. <clears throat> we, yeah. we got married and we just wanted what God wanted to give us. And we probably thought it might've been, you know, three, four or five and it's nine. Um, I think it's probably fine to share this. Katie's, ex- she's actually miscarrying right now. She's having her second mm-hmm. miscarriage. She had another miscarriage a little while ago. So we don't know what the Lord, but that's the nice thing we put in his hands yeah. and he's in charge of life. And so if God, if we only have nine kids, if we would have had seven or five, whatever, we just wanted God's fingerprints on our family. And it's not really a commentary on what other people, you know, have to do. I would just say, if you have two kids or 20 kids, just make sure you view them as a blessing, 
a gift the way that the Bible, you know, because we have people that come in our church. We have a lot of big families and then we have some small families. And I'll tell people that people feel judged about children where they they have a lot of children, a few children or no children. And I said, regardless of what you have or don't have, just make sure you view children biblically, which is that they're a gift and a blessing and they're valuable. They're made in the image of God, you know, as we're living in a world that's trying to undermine that. Um, at a fierce rate, you know, through abortion and so forth. And so, yeah, it's hard to, to always make sure you're prioritizing, you know, each of your children. We, I take trips, I do some speaking. And so I've got a conference coming out of, I'm taking my son, Johnny there, my second oldest son. Before that, I took Rhea and, you know, Ricky. And so just always trying to make time for them. Wow. And you know, and you're right. Like people, I think, I think the thing about having kids, like you said, whether it's one or nine, although I don't know that experience, you do feel judged. Like, why don't you have more kids? Why don't you have less kids? What? But like you said, if you honor them as a gift unto the Lord, he, mm-hmm. he knows mm-hmm. that you're, 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 you're leaning into his heart, which is that these are his children. And he adores well them. Um, so now that we said that, because I, I just find anyone who's so like, my dad comes from a family of eight and he said, wasn't a big deal when I was a kid. Everybody like eight wasn't big. Twelve, <laughs> eight, five. Like he's like. We after you get past, it. after you get past three or four, actually <laughs> the toughest season, the toughest season is when you just have a few little ones because you don't have any older kids yeah. to help. You know, now that we have older yeah. kids, you know, the teenagers are picking up. I'm, I'm, te- yeah. I'm gonna have tell. We're doing like family Bible study or family activities, and I'm like, you're not paying attention to me. You're paying attention to the baby. You need to try to pay. <laughs> look at me here. Don't be distracted by the small ch- children. You know, so your kids grow up around children, and they end up being a help. And so the toughest season. So for any mothers that listen to this or fathers and they're like, Oh, you know, we have three kids and, and they're so young. And, and how could you ever do nine? I'm like, no, actually it gets easier as they get older and you have more children that can help out. (laughs) And that's important to hear because my, my friend, she just had their first girl, but she has five boys and their oldest are 18 and 16. And they are picking up that baby. Like, can I hold the baby? Can I carry the baby? And then they have a three-year-old and he's always on someone's back or someone's, you know, and they're like, you know, she said when they leave the home someday, he'll miss them so much because they're like an uncle. I mean, they're brother, but they're, and they also aren't as annoyed with them. They're more patient with them. Like, you know, the, if they're too close in age, you're like duking for equal, equal ground. But when you're older, you're like, I don't care about the matchbox car you can just have it you know like here you go so they they feel secure and i think i don't know if this is true i mean in it but it seems to hold true that those that are raised around more kids are naturally at ease around kids so for them to instill in them young you know that the beauty of they are not their parents and they shouldn't be but the beauty of the love Mm -hmm. of the father for for kids, you know, they can, yeah, they can kind of see that. It's really interesting to watch. My oldest son is 16. When his baby brother was born, he was six. He didn't care about his second brother that much, but the baby was like a treasure, you know, like, can I hold him? Can I talk to him? Can I snuggle him? And I was like, sure. He says his jam is three and under. He's 16. He's like, once they had about three mom, I'm kind of done. I'm like, you know, everybody has an age, buddy. (laughs) At least, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, you know what you like. Cause most kids, it's the opposite. They're like, can I, can they not be around me until they're like, yeah, that's unfortunate. (laughs) That's very, very unfortunate. Yeah. I'm thankful our church generally, it's what you might call a family integrated church or we generally do things as families. So people come in and one of the first things they say is, man, there's a lot of, a lot of children around here. And so 
kids are growing up around other children. We like to see families be together, do things together. And then you have teenagers that are used to holding babies. We have a lot of young, young ladies that are coming along, coming next to mother saying, you know, can I hold your baby? I mean, it's almost hard to make it through the church holding a baby without a young girl coming and taking that, asking to hold that baby. So I'm thankful for the environment that, yeah, thankful for the environment we're seeing in our church. Praise the Lord. Well, I could stay there all day. I won't. Um, but but you've written several books. And like you said, there you have a great one on marriage. You have one on finances, which, oh my gosh, praise the Lord. And just that expanse of understanding. Because again, I'm not trying to harp on this, but you have a responsibility as you've worked other jobs. You've been in the military. You've been a teacher. You're a pastor. But just honoring God's finances, you know, as a father who wants to provide for his kids, but also you know, steward the money well, but rolling all that into kind of what it takes to do that and is, is work, you know, we have to work. And I think in our culture today, some of us are really good at working. Some of us are terrible at working. Let's be fair. If we're just looking at culture, not necessarily the Christian church, but even in the church, I, I find in my entrepreneurial wiring that what I really struggle with is rest because I used to think resting included distraction, meaning I'm watching a show, I'm resting. Um, and I've come to realize that in, at least in my personal life, God has convicted me that that's not what he meant when he wanted me to rest, to just be distracted by a screen and not be doing work. Like, that's kind of, I kind of hijacked, you know, we can blame COVID all we want, but, but it was before COVID for me. Like I was like, I'm resting, but it was, I wasn't really my mind, my spirit, my soul. I wasn't necessarily engaging with my kids. So first, before we dive into a little more about that, can you kind of give your definition of what you see the Bible says as work versus rest? Mm -hmm. Yeah, good. Well, first I'll say that the Bible presents work very positively. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, a pastor will get up and he'll rail against adultery or lying, but there are some incredibly strong verses against laziness and sloth, especially in the book of Proverbs. And you just won't hear pastors condemn that. Uh, There's some, there's some verses in the epistles about how laziness or idleness is almost like the gateway for other sin. So, so it's like laziness alone is bad, but it's also bad because of what overflows from it that generally, and I was a school teacher. And so one of the things I noticed is that busy kids are usually better kids, better behaved kids. If you can keep students busy, well, it can be the same for adults. You know, you let kids become idle. They don't have work to do. They're going to find other kids to annoy. They're going to find other kids to talk to. Um, And you kind of think in scripture about David. I mean, David, he's been one of my heroes. I first started preaching. I want to preach on the life of David. You're going through his life and then you reach second Samuel 11 and it's like, where's this guy that I loved, you know, for all these previous chapters, he's, yeah. he's napping in the middle of the day, his men are off at battle, he's being lazy, he gets up on this rooftop, sees Bathsheba, and then we, we know what happens, the adultery and then the murder. But there's, a, there's an aspect of that that we should recognize was born out of, at least part of it, that laziness or not doing what he should be doing, being, at, yeah. being in battle with his men. And so, um, <clears throat> so as much as, as positively as the Bible speaks about work, it speaks negatively about laziness. Yeah. Uh, sometimes we could think that work is part of the fall, but I think it's really important to understand that Adam was put in the garden to tend it prior to the fall. It was not a result of the curse. Or in other words, work is not a punishment is the simplest way to say it. We worked prior to the fall. 
God had Adam working. Now it's different. It's different work in a fallen world. God said that now you're going to, you know, toil. It's going to be difficult. You're going to have thorns and thistles that you didn't previously have. But work itself was always part of God's plan for man. And even in the new heavens and the new earth, we look to eternity. That's a worldly view that you just kind of sitting back on a cloud and and not uh you know that's not biblical whatsoever we're going to be serving the lord for all eternity it'll be in a in a perfect pleasant experience whereas on this side of heaven you know there's difficulties and trials that make make work um unpleasant yeah but the reality is it's something that god wants for us there's a gentleman that i knew or i still know pretty well and he hadn't been pushed to work growing up and he became very close to us where i felt somewhat responsible for him and his family, because of some illnesses he had, never really wanted to see him or never really wanted, they probably wanted to see him be employed. They just thought he couldn't really do it. And I said, well, if, I mean, if you're going to be here with us, you need to basically your full-time job until you have a job is looking for a job. So he ends up getting this job. Um, you know, he's not, his parents will say, well, he can never be a doctor or a lawyer. And I'd say, well, he doesn't, we're not talking. Okay, yeah. he doesn't have to be a doctor lawyer. There's plenty of other things to do without being a doctor lawyer. So he gets this job. He's done incredibly well. But one of the things I noticed was the security, the self-esteem, yeah. the confidence that was built into him because there's really blessings for obeying what God's words. It's called common grace. There's salvific grace, which is the grace that saves. But there's also common grace, which is the grace that's afforded everyone. Men, yeah. It's common to everyone. And, you know, that's think of the language like the the rain and the sun shine on the just and the unjust alike. There are plenty of unbelievers or God-hating people who experience God's goodness and blessings. And one of the ways that unbelievers or even God-hating people can be blessed is by applying principles in scripture, including principles associated with work. There's great blessing for that. And so when this young man started working, we just saw a dramatic change with him. So when you see someone who's maybe struggled with laziness and it's very hard not to be insecure when you're lazy and not working and when you're unproductive, but to then see someone repent and begin mm -hmm. to work, you see a great growth or, um, in them, you know, morally yeah. with their, with their character and so forth. Yeah. I think that's something that people don't always connect unless they've experienced it themselves. And, and you, you nailed it on the head is like, we are meant for purpose. And even though work, I realize, may not be our eternal purpose, it brings us purpose. You know, we we earn a paycheck to support our kids, or we or or we just help another company be successful and and serve the community. However, you want to look at it, it gives us pur purpose and structure. Whether the paycheck brings a purpose, like we said, the bigger purpose of supporting your family, or the purpose really is to just unite with a mission that that company is on to serve the community. I mean, you fix people's cars. That has immense purpose. You dig ditches so that the water can flow to houses. That has purpose. Like there's, there's something we miss out on when we, when we choose to wait around. Like, I know, I know I'm not saying this is what happened to this young man, but when people wait around for the perfect job and instead of working, they just wait and we knew, a, and this is sad, but we knew a family when my son was in, sec, one of my sons was in second grade, um, a little girl in his class was homeless and she wasn't homeless because they, because there, there wasn't a place for them to stay. They lost their home and were literally living in a car because her father had a very nice job. He was educated and he refused to work until he had a nice job 
that fulfilled his degree again. And he wouldn't let his wife work either um, because I guess it was an insult to his pride. If I'm being honest, it was just pride. And it was heart-wrenching to watch because these girls were suffering. They were all four sleeping in their car at night and it for like a year until he got that perfect, perfect job. And that's, and they weren't Christians. They don't know the Lord, but the Bible says <laughs> otherwise. So I know that's more of an extreme example, but there are, there's some of us that we really have this weird idea of what we deserve or what, you know, or if it's lesser than this, it's not worth my time versus what the Bible actually says, which is to put your hand to the plow. Like, to actually work. So I, I, I love that. And so kind of pulling away from that, what does it mean then? Do you feel like, what does the Bible talk about when it talks about rest? Cause this is something I think I have misunderstood in the past. So I would love to hear how you mm-hmm. explain it. Okay, good. So we as fallen individuals have the potential to ruin I'm, I'm going to answer your question. I'm just getting a little momentum into it. <laughs> so to ruin almost or pretty probably every blessing or gift God gives us, um, there's that account where the bronze serpent that they, Moses lifted up in the, in the wilderness, they ended up turning that into an idol, you know, and started worshiping it. They called it Nehushtan and has, it had to be destroyed in Hezekiah's day. And that always to me is like, we have this ability to make things Nehushtan, to turn things into you take something good or moral God's given us and make it bad. We see that with relationships, you know, uh, sex in particular is something that is this wonderful gift, but can be obviously used very, very sinfully. And so work is something else that people can, I don't know if I'd say pervert necessarily, but we can work too much. Uh, we can be very extreme. And I'll just share a few statistics that I put in my book here. Um, <clears throat> American employees work 137 more hours per year than Japanese workers. Now, I thought that was interesting because I always thought Japanese yeah, workers like, work the hardest, right? Yeah. American employees work 137 more hours per year than Japanese workers, 260 more than um, British workers, 499 more hours than French workers. Uh, the French clearly have this whole rest thing figured out. Say, I mean... I've been, yeah. there. I haven't been there, but I've had people say it's a totally different culture. It's a really hard wrapping yeah. around. I'm not saying it's good or bad, and you're, but it is you're different. working, you know, four hours and you got to take, I'm not joking. You got to take a nap or a rest and then you work another four hours and you got Americans. We're working like, you know, six, six, 10, 12 hour days, 25 million Americans or 21% of the workforce work at least 49 hours per week, 11 million Americans, 9% of the workforce work more than 59 hours per week. Four out of five Americans spend their lunch break at their desks so they can keep working. Americans receive 15 vacation days per year, while in Asia they receive 19, and in Europe they receive 28. So you could be quick to say, well, we should receive more vacation days. But the problem is, we that's the next statistic. We don't even use all the vacation time that we have. 51% of Americans um, don't use all the vacation they have. When Americans take vacation, 61% admit to doing work on their on their sp- uh, vacation. Many Americans spend part of the year working for nothing, uh, donating an, donating an average that's equivalent of $561 to their employers. Um, and so, we if anyone should listen to this podcast, it's probably Americans. <laughs> you know, we have the greatest. And and the thing is, I'm not trying to condemn work. I just talk positively about work. Mm-hmm. And if you look in Scripture. The biblical work week seemed to be six days on and one day off. Yeah. But what is that one? So I'm not pushing for like four days on, three days off or something like that. The biblical pattern would be one one day of rest. And so well, what does that look like to rest? Well, I really appreciated what you what you said about not being occupied. And, and I'm kind of very, 
don't know if I'd say a hypocrite in this area, but it's de- it's a huge struggle for me. You know, I when I'm writing work and rest God's way, I'm like writing that for myself. I'm convicted. I I give I can be given over to working from the moment I get up to the moment I go to bed. The inbox is never empty. There's always people to call. There's always another book to think about or so um, it's, it's really convicting for me to think about the importance of rest. Just this morning, Katie and I are, are spending some time together before the kids get up. She walks out of the room and she told me, she said, you know, just try not to pick up your phone. Just wait. I'm going to be right back. She don't want me to pick up my phone and start checking an email or respond to a text message. Cause that's my tendency. Oh, Katie left the room. I'll grab my phone. I've got a minute here to get, to get something done. <clears throat> and again, that's not to say we shouldn't strive to be productive, but there are those times to rest. So resting also go. So it means not being occupied in such a way where you can't invest your time, energy, mind in things unrelated to work, such as your family, uh, the Lord. Hopefully most people's rest day is, is Sunday. They commit that day to worship. I'm not saying they have to worship the whole day, but hopefully they prioritize worship on the Lord's day. And then much of the rest of that day is hopefully invested with our families. Well, rest isn't just for one day. So for example, my wife started kind of struggling with being a pastor's wife, mother of nine, and some of the other things like writing and speaking that I had going on. And she was saying nicely to me, she wasn't, it wasn't contentious, but she was a little grieved. And she said, you know, I'm wondering if we can keep this pace up. I wonder if we can keep doing this. If you can keep doing it, if I can keep doing it, basically I need you more available was what she said. And I said, okay, well, what, what can I do? I know we're not talking so much about marriage, but the primary command for husbands is to love their wives as Christ loves the church. First Peter three, seven, first Peter three, seven says dwell with your wives in an understanding way or develop knowledge of your wife and then dwell with her according to that knowledge. So you learn your wife and then you strive to live with her or dwell with her according to that knowledge you've learned. And so I'm trying to learn Katie, you know, even after all the years we've been married. And I said, well, what do, what do you need for me to be, to be healthy mentally, emotionally, spiritually? She said, I need you to take one full day off because my day off would then become consumed with other important things. And so what's interesting, Charity, and I, I'll try not to forget what I was going to say in a moment, but to take one, one de- detail, the enemy of best is usually what's good. And so what I mean is the biggest enemy in our lives is often having to say no to good things to have God's best. We do need to say no to sin, but think about it as a pastor, when I'm fiercely fighting for my day off, what am I saying no to? I'm saying no to congregants. I'm saying no to Christians. I'm saying no to counseling. I'm saying no to, you know, Bible studies, good things. Yeah. And so, well, that's the same. If you're a parent or you're a Christian and you're striving to rest, you're probably having to say no to many good things to make sure that you're resting the right way. And that's what's, that's the temptation. That's what's difficult. We're not talking about saying no to adultery or lying or something like that. We're, we're talking about saying no to working, which is moral and which is good. And so <clears throat> on my day off, I've had to tell people, you know, I mean, if there was like a complete emergency or something, someone's marriage has fallen apart or someone's child died, sure. I'm going to, and then hopefully the following day or another time, I'm going to try to make up for that time with my family. And my wife would understand that. But with that said, 99% of the time, it's not an emergency. It's just someone has a question, email, and it can wait till the next day. So I've got to fiercely protect my day off. And then Katie said, when you come home in the evening, I really need you to be home and available with us and the children. So that means you come in and then you don't 
go to your office or to, you know, our bedroom and take out your computer or phone and start, oh, you remember? So I'll frequently, I'm every week revolves around a sermon, basically. And I frequently think of things to put in my sermon. And so it's very tempting to want to go grab my computer, just type something up to put in my sermon really quickly, right? Well, then that's one more time I'm leaving my family to do that. And so Katie said, so for me, resting means investing in my wife, investing in my children. Um, it's an It can be an act of rest. Rest doesn't mean you just lay there, you don't move, you know. You're, you are spending the time and energy you have on that rest day in profitable ways, whether it's worship, whether it's, you know, fellowship with other, with other believers. It's not just like, let me try, because that was actually the problem in, the, in Jesus's day was the religious leaders had made the day of rest. It's almost like they were working so hard to rest. It wasn't even a rest day. You know, they remember when Jesus is walking with the disciples and they pluck the grain. Yeah, you can walk so far, Jesus, they're plucking grain. And then they said that they were working because that's like harvesting. And so this we're not talking about some legalistic bent here where resting means that you can't do. I mean, resting for many men on their day off, if they have sons, means going and working on the car with yep. your son or working on the house or getting those. Because when are you going to get the projects done around yep. the house? You've got to do them on your, on your day off. So Absolutely. And I think for some ladies, like... If, it's, it's sitting and doing, I mean, I know women that sew. I, I am not one of those. I wish I was one of those people. I think that's super cool, but they'll sit and they'll sew or they'll sit in there, they'll draw or they'll, you know, when you have littles, you got to get them all occupied, but you'll do something you don't treat yourself to any other day, but it's really, it's an activity, but it's art or it's, you know, something that you, you, you tell yourself you, this may not, you know, be true, but you tell yourself it's a waste of your time every other day because you've got more important things to do. But on your day of rest, you're like, well, I can indulge and do this one thing. I think, I think also, and, and I know you've got now, how old is your oldest? She's 15. Okay. And then our youngest just turned one. Okay. So you've got quite the span, but, but do you feel, I guess this would be a question, a parenting question. So keeping in the mind, this balance of rest and work, do you see your older kids seeing a rhythm to that? Like they kind of understand they're, they still quite aren't quite to the age of having a job, but I know my kids, I, to be intentional with our time with them, whether it's playing board games or whether it's, if I sit down and start drawing, they want to sit down and start drawing or whether it's something to that nature, or they just want to do something as a family or even go somewhere it's kind of seeps into their bones after a while that there's at least one day they can count on dad or mom being present. And I think that that's something our culture is lacking. Have you seen as a pastor or maybe even as a teacher, cause that's a really important vantage point too, families that don't have intentional time together, families that don't intentionally, um, even if it is kind of on our day of rest, spend time together. Do you see a difference in those families? Yeah. So you, you said a bunch of good things there. It actually took me self, some self-control to be quiet and not chime in because I, <laughs> I like different things you were saying. Um, so f first we gener we live in a world that is not conducive to children working. We actually mm -hmm. develop laws to prevent kids from working. And so I, I despise that. 
I think businesses should be able to hire, if they want to hire a 13-year-old and there's a 13-year-old that works better than a 25-year-old, which is could definitely be possible, Absolutely. then they should. So we have these child labor laws and I get what's behind them, but I think it's it's having the opposite effect. Um, so, hmm. so we homeschool and we, I used to be a school teacher and my kids finish their schooling much earlier than, yes. you know, a typical school day. But what are they going to do? You know, we don't really do video games. We don't want a lot of movies. We have a television. I'm not saying Christians can't have televisions or something, but how are we going to keep our children busy and occupied? Well, <clears throat> we, we do like them doing many of the things you said, drawing, but we've actually tried to get our children doing businesses or jobs at a young age. And so my daughter, Rhea, has her own Instagram page that she sells stuff. And she makes a surprising amount of money. I She goes to thrift stores, yard sales, and she collects all this stuff that other people thought was junk. And then she sells much of this for, I'm not joking, 10 to 20 or 30 times more than she paid for it wow, on, on, these in, on these Instagram lives. Yeah. It's like instead of flipping she'll, a house, she's flipping stuff, you know? She'll, she can make, she can work two to four hours doing an Instagram live and she seems to love it. She'll do it in the evening and she can make two to $300. I mean, that's almost a hundred. And then she's got a, I mean, she did buy the stuff. She has to mail it, but it's, it's pretty incredible. Um, my son has a landscaping class, business. That's real money. What do you say? I said she should teach a class because that's real money right there. <laughs> like, you know, these so, moms that are like, what do I do? I'm like, okay, everybody, Rhea, go find her and just copy what she's doing in your neck of the woods. Don't steal her stuff, though. Yeah, you can put her, maybe put her link in the show notes yeah, and people can awesome. look at her, look at her stuff. Um, my son, Ricky, has been landscaping. He's got his lawnmower. He's yeah. got his weed eater, his, his blower, and he attaches it to, he went, he, he's upgrading his business. He had a bike and now he bought an electric bike to pull his wagon and kind of go around and mow. Yeah. And so he's going to be, he's um going to be 14. And so we've wanted our kids and I'm not a handy guy, so I can't go and build a house with my son. I can't go work on cars. You know, I'm, I'm terrible. So I've always struggled with how am I going to help my kids? You know, some people could, maybe they listen to this and they're like, oh, wow, you know, maybe you, you have it all together and teach your sons. No, I don't know how to do half of this stuff. I spent my life doing school stuff. I was, a, you know, I went to college. I got multiple degrees because I changed, changed professions, two masters and a bachelor's. And, and so I've never been out being really hands-on like that. But my sons don't want to sit behind a desk like me and they don't want to read. And so we're always trying to, we have another uh, daughter. There's something, actually, I love all your hearers, uh, listeners to hear this. It's called the Starfish Project. Do you remember that story about the, the girl that's walking along throwing the starfish? It's called the Starfish Project after that. It's about girls, young girls who have been redeemed or ran, or saved out of human trafficking to give them something to do. They make jewelry. You buy the jewelry from them and then you sell that jewelry. And so whenever I go to conferences, I do maybe six to 10 conferences per year. My primary job is pastoring, but I have these speaking engagements and I have a booth with all my books set up. And there's a cor- and there's a, a third or fourth of every booth that is set up with all the jewelry that's my daughter's that is sold. It's called we call it Karis Fashion because my daughter's name is Karis, but it's from the Starfish Project, and all that jewelry has little stories behind it that's made by girls that's brought out of human trafficking. And so <clears throat> my wife's more responsible for that than I am. But the thing is, there's just different ways to get your kids doing very good and produ- productive things. And there, there's one more thing I wanted to say. And I'll kind of share on a brief account from the Old Testament and then try to tie it, connect the dots here. So uh, most people probably know that Solomon made this extravagant 
temple. Um, it was just, you know, really incredible. David, his father, gathered all the wealth and materials for it. And then Solomon builds this incredible temple. That temple ends up being destroyed. And then in um, Ezra and Nehemiah's day, they travel back to the promised land because they had been, you know, brought into exile. They travel back to the promised land and they're building this new temple, but they don't have the wealth. They don't have the materials. They don't have the manpower to do it. And they lay this very small foundation for this new temple. And many people who are familiar with how great Solomon's temple was, they looked at this new foundation and they actually started to weep because they knew that this new temple would not compare with the previous one. So this is what <clears throat> so this is what God says. It says, the hands, of the, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands shall complete it. Then you'll know that the Lord of hosts sent me to him. And this is the important verse. Whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice shall rejoice rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. So the point is they were despising the day of small things, but God found joy in it. He was pleased with what they were doing. And so many of us are occupied with days of small things and they can seem very insignificant to us. If it's a wife or mother, maybe it's doing the laundry or doing dishes or if you're a podcast host, most of us who have podcasts don't have millions of followers and downloads. We're just trying to be faithful in those little areas that God's called us and then recognize that God God isn't looking for out he's looking for our faithfulness. So for me it'd be very easy to be discouraged as a pastor if I compare myself with John MacArthur, right? Or Billy Graham or something. Well, God isn't looking and saying, well, Scott, you're a failure because your ministry or book sales or preaching or speaking engagements is nothing like John MacArthur. God just wants me to be faithful in these areas. Like he calls me on the show. I try to come on the show and I try to be faithful sharing about, you know, the word or my family or whatever questions you ask me. And God can be as pleased with that as he can be with that person that gets on you know, television and preaches to tens of thousands of people. And so I hope that's encouraging to your listeners when they think about work, that the real issue is just doing whatever God has called us to do, however big, or for most of us, small. That is, there's not a lot of people who are really big, but you can be small and be as pleasing to the Lord if you're as faithful as that person that, or even maybe you're more faithful than that person that, let's say, let's say, and we see that in the parable of talents, right? You got one guy that has five and produces five. Another guy has less than half of that, two, and produces two, and they have equal rewards because they were equally faithful, right? God doesn't. Well, and I think one thing you said that that I want to echo is I know for some of us when we are doing what seems to be, quote, insignificant, right? It seems insignificant to the world, the laundry, the sweeping the floors, the changing the The diapers, whatever, you know, the diapers, whatever. And, um, that is when that our look, let's be frank. We don't always have a good attitude about it, but when we do it as unto the Lord and we realize that this is for an eternal ripple, that's going to ripple throughout our family, that peace that your children have because of your consistency, you know, the, the beauty in the, in the rhythm of life that can be unglamorous, right? Our world thinks everything has to be glamorous, which Instagram's a big fat lie. You guys, I don't know if you know this, but most, most of us just put our <laughs> best day on there. Like we don't put our every day. We put our, like, put your makeup on, get your hair done, get, get, swipe all the kids done, stop screaming at each other. Okay. This one picture for one second was our perfect life. And now it's been done for the other 23 hours and 59 minutes of the day. 
but I love what you were saying about like, it's, 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 we despise it sometimes if we don't understand it, but God doesn't. And to pray for his perspective on everything so that, because I, as a mom, you know, there, it was a ripping away in a lot of ways of like, it was a, it was a false perception is what it was, but it was just a ripping away of what I felt like I always thought I wanted, was going to do also. Like the also, I had to give up the also because I realized for me, and this is only for me, I don't want to speak this about everybody, but I could not be a good mom if I was continuing to wait for the also, for the glamorous, for the fanciful, for the whatever. And, and until I was, until I was pleased with the simple and then found joy in the simple, um, I long for that. Actually, I, it sounds so stupid. I used to hear these ladies who are older that are my age now, but like at the time I was like 30 and they were 45 and they're like, you know, it sounds stupid, but I miss it. And I'm like, whatever, you know, but I do. I was like, oh, I totally miss it. They were right because it was simple. It wasn't complicated and you found pockets of rest. Um, and, and I want to say before we go, I know we're kind of having to wrap it up, but, um, you all, I know you talk about marriage and I know you talk about finances. And then of course we've been talking about work and rest, but I feel like all of these things help a healthy marriage. I think if you're the type of person, ladies, even if it's not a nine to five job and many of my women do have a nine to five job, but let's say you are a full-time stay at home mom, you still have to intentionally rest or your parent, your husband and your kids, they're not getting a peaceful piece of you. They're getting a frazzled mm-hmm. piece. And God, they don't get the best of you. They get the no. rest of you. And that's, you know, let's be frank. We all know men who are like that. And I'm not sure how sometimes we all can pull everybody's splinter out and not see the plank. Um, but I think it's a cultural facade too, that we have to always be busy. So if you can leave us, Scott, with one little thought on this idea of rest and work um, and family. I mean, it all ties back into healthy families, godly families, the ways God wants our family to work. Is there one piece? I know it's hard. You have a book. He has a book, you guys read the book, but if, if you could give one piece of encouragement, let's put it that way to dads and moms who, who they do struggle with, with this rest. Um, wh- what would be your encouraging word for them? Yeah, good. So we're super driven and most of the time we're driven for earthly temporal things. So if we have eternity in view and we're living for the next life, which is difficult because we see this life all around us and, and we want to succeed, you know, we want the promotion or we, you know, we want the, um, to finish this project and we might sacrifice our children or sacrifice our church attendance, but we're not going to be tempted to do those things. If we have eternity in view, if we have eternity in view, then it's going to be about what the Lord wants for our lives. And the nice thing is if we're living for the Lord, all these other things kind of have their a way of working themselves out. We don't have to worry as much because then we've just kind of put ourselves on this path that God has for us. And he works out those details for us. And so I would just say, strive to consider what does the Lord want for you? What is his will? And if you're, if that's the question, he's never going to give us more than we can do. He does. He's not going to expect us to do 25 hours of work in 24 hours. And he's not going to expect us to do, you know, um, seven days work when he wants us to do it in six days when he, cause he expects us to rest. And so to be very prayerful and considerate, cause is there something called opportunity cost, which simply means that to say yes to something is to say no to something else. And to figure out what those things are 
that God wants us to say yes to and just to be prayerful about that and to say, Lord, is this what you have for me at this time? And I'll, I'll use my wife as an example. I think she's a really good speaker. She has come to me for different conferences and spoke to women or joined me for Q&As. And she's also said no to many of them because she doesn't want to be away from our home and our kids. And some people would say, wow, so I have a conference next year. Actually, I just did all the tickets and booking for Oklahoma and she's not coming with me. That's the one I'm bringing my son on. Would I love to have my wife there at the marriage conference? Yeah, absolutely. But she says, I don't want to be gone from our kids twice that month. So she could go and she could, you know, speak and have some attention. I don't know if I'd say fame. I mean, it's not like a mega church or something, but she decided she feels like God told her no to that and to say yes to our home and our children. And so just to be asking that question regularly, because these are all wisdom issues. They're not black and white. We're not talking about whether to steal or to lie. We're talking about wisdom issues that require discernment. And so that means asking, do I say yes or no to this? So that is an excellent place to end. Scott, we could talk about a hundred more things. We won't, but I love, I love that you were willing to come on. And it's like you said, you know, those of us that do, we're, we, we are, and, and listeners, I'm obviously including you in this. Um, you're just being faithful to the Lord. And whether or not, let's think this through, you have four people in a small group and you are discipling them unto the Lord, or you, or you happen to be one of those John MacArthur's or someone else that, that impacts thousands. When you get to heaven, all he's going to know is if you obeyed him, not, he's not going to be like, well, where's your roster? Show me how many, it's not like, you know, it is, it is obedience is better than sacrifice. And if it is your child and you have one and you are to pour your life into them and you are obeying the Lord, be at peace with that. Don't compare your call because someone said this and I mean, I'm like, man, where were you when I was in youth group? But they said, if you're jealous of someone else's place in the kingdom, then you don't understand yours. And mm, I was like, very good. dang. Everybody needs to hear that because your wife is secure. I don't know her, but she's clearly a secure woman in her walk and her place in the kingdom. So rest will come when you get secure in your place in the kingdom. And so we'll work. You will work for it, but you will rest as well. So thank you again so much, Scott. Hello, nine kids. That enough would keep me off a podcast. You've got (laughs) the homeschool that is like... If you need tips on homeschooling, I imagine Scott's wife needs to start a blog. <laughs> yeah. um, but bless you. Thank you for your time. This was wonderful. Thank you, Charity. And we'll talk soon. Okay. God bless you and your listeners. Thanks a lot.